This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who aren't done yet. You may have seen the worst of aging and are hoping there's a better way. There is, and I'm going to show you how. In interviews, book reviews, rants, and stories, each week, I'm going to bring you the latest science-based info on how to age better. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. It pisses me off, and it's BS. Look, aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody. This is another episode of Rebellious Wellness Over 50, where we talk about expand your mind in ways to incorporate ways that you may not have thought of to be healthy as you age. It's not necessarily what conventional wisdom tells you, such as like you should slow down and things are going to start happening. That's just not true. And my guest today, Annette Cashel, is going to speak to us specifically about our body and movement and the bones and all kinds of good things. And you're going to love hearing her story if you are a person with chronic pain, facing a surgery, you're not sure you want to have. So Annette, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Gregory, for inviting me. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, it's great to meet you. Now, I think we should just start with your story because it's really, it's inspiring for people. So give us a little background and then... um, how, how you became a person who knows how to be fixed without surgery. Okay. So I have to go back in time a bit. Um, I used to have a proper job, in inverted commas. I worked as a marketing manager at a desk for a long time, and I loved my job. I worked in Germany and America, but my back didn't enjoy my job. So sitting at the desk for a long time kind of hurt my lower back. And the only exercise I could do was Pilates. I didn't even know what Pilates was at the time. It was that long ago. And um, I loved it. It really helped my back. And in the end, I quit my marketing job and became a Pilates teacher. I did that for the next 16 years. And during that time, my health wasn't really perfect. I still had issues with my wrist, with my knee. And eventually I had an issue with my neck. So I had terrible chronic pain that radiated down my arm. It got to the stage where I was told I needed a neck fusion operation. So... I really, this really scared me. I didn't want to do a neck fusion operation. I worked with a lot of people who came to my classes with fusions that hadn't gone that well. So I really didn't want to do this. But I was also confused because I'd given up my desk job and I was working as a Pilates teacher. Why were things still falling apart? So I kind of looked into the big picture and I realized that I was what people call an active couch potato. Listeners may not be aware of, but couch potatoes, everybody knows, people who don't move really at all. Active couch potatoes might exercise every day, maybe an hour or two every day, but they're inactive the rest of the day. And that's where I fell into, because even though I worked as a Pilates teacher, the rest of the time when I wasn't teaching, I was still sitting a lot. So that was a real shocker. I mean, that was on top of the neck fusion. That was really a shock and a bit of a blow to the ego as a Pilates teacher as well. So I had to reframe how I moved and I started looking at how many hours I sat and how sedentary I was. And I started changing things around. I retrained as a movement teacher with nutritiousmovement.com and I avoided the neck fusion operation. I'm on no meds, no pain since then. And I've also reversed uh, the bone loss in my spine and my hips, uh, which I contribute to adding movement to my day. Well, that is certainly A, amazing. B, good to hear because I think when you and I spoke before this interview, 
I have been told and have interviewed people that are bone experts that say you cannot rebuild bone. And mm -hmm. it never really made sense to me because when they measure the bone score on your DEXA, sometimes they're a little better, sometimes they're not. So anyway, it's good to hear, mm -hmm. especially I've, I've also known people that have had fusions that have not really had great success or have had to have another one. I do know yes. some great success. Really made a difference. Yes, yes. If I'm not against operations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are you going to be the lucky one or the one that <laughs> lucky? When I hear the word movement, I think about I don't know going to the grocery store, just moving around my day, doing dishes. But that, you're talking about that, but something more. Yeah. So I get. The, I guess the difference between movement and exercise. In my mind, exercise is something normally where you put on a particular type of clothing. You might wear certain types of shoes. You might have a tennis racket, a piece of equipment in your hand. You might even drive there to do it. And you also normally have in your head a certain amount of time allocated to it. And when you've done it, you tend to tick it off your mental list. I've done all that. I'm off the hook really for a move in the rest of the day. Whereas movement is the rest of the day, which sounds horrendous, but it's not because it's very small, frequent bouts of movement spread throughout your day. So it could be things like walking to the grocery store instead of driving or just walking part of the way. It doesn't have to be all the way. It could be doing a bit more gardening. It could be not wearing shoes. It could be sitting on the floor. It could be standing during a Zoom call. It doesn't have to be the whole Zoom call, even the first 10 minutes. Just breaking up your day into little bits of movement because it's so easy not to move nowadays. You know, everything can come to you now with the internet and with all these delivery services. You have to actively, consciously put a bit of movement back into your day so that your body can thrive. There's a, I don't know who, some productivity or corporate thing that I've heard that you should set a timer and every hour you should get up for five minutes. That doesn't seem like, it's kind of like what you're saying, but that doesn't seem like enough. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. So ideally you're moving every 20 minutes. So it takes 20 minutes for your metabolism to start slowing down. So if you are looking for a weight loss, which is not necessarily the only benefit of moving, but if you are looking for weight loss, Ideally, you're moving around every 20 minutes. That doesn't mean you're doing jumping jacks or, or running on the spot. Just getting up and moving is enough for your body to realize something needs to happen. It's a bit like the snooze button on your computer. It'll shut down after a while and then you just tap it and everything kind of boots up again. So your metabolism will boot up again, as will your immune system, your bone building, your circulation, and all these little bit of, a little bit of impetus to have to keep working. And that's, that's all it takes. Every 20 minutes seems maybe impossible for some people. So aim for once an hour, like you said, and then try and reduce to every half an hour. And then your body will probably start to want it. You'll notice that you want to move, you want to fidget. So it could be just to get a glass of water or stand up and look out of the window. That's an eye break, which is also really important for your body. I love the way you describe exercise. The thing that you have equipment, you get in your car, and then you take it off when you're done, <laughs> as opposed to... Just reconditioning how we think about, you know, movement versus exercise, but just the importance of movement in the day to day, because historically, I mean, way, way back, we moved naturally much more. Yeah, exactly. Exercise is an artificial construct. Yeah. It's been around for a very, very short amount of time because before the 1950s, really, people didn't need exercise. They were busy moving through their day. Getting through the day required physical effort. Even washing clothes required physical effort. So. I think jogging was only really came about in the 1960s and the late 1950s, there was a, a study about bus drivers versus bus conductors and how 
theatre, the bus conductors were versus the bus drivers. And that's really the whole, where the whole idea started of exercise. But yeah, before that, you didn't need to exercise because you had enough to do physically during the day. Now we've gone the other extreme. We have to physically crowbar a bit of exercise into our day. But we know now from latest studies that even people who exercise regularly, if they're not moving the rest of the day in little bouts, it's a separate risk factor. So you could go to the gym every day, work out every day for an hour and never sit the rest of the day. You'll still have a higher risk of heart disease and obesity and certain cancers and even premature death from the rest of the day where you're not moving. So going to the gym all day, it doesn't get you off the separate risk. Yeah. I, I wrote an article, gosh, it was over a year ago, and I, I'm remembering this bit of information about when we're seated, seated, the hormones that cleanse, you know, that are responsible for moving things through the body, they get clogged. They can't do their work. And yeah leads to fatigue and it also leads to fat storage somehow. I, I'll have to, on your page for this podcast, I'm going to put a little note at the bottom to let people know what I'm talking about. But it was really interesting. So it's not just, you know, when we talk about risk factors for heart disease and all these things, they're sort of nebulous or, you know, I think people hear them, we're so used to hearing them. But the importance is to not have to experience them firsthand to know what we're talking about. So that this idea of sitting and whether it's hormonal or whether it's muscle, you know, not getting toned or heart not being used. It's all just important to, to not have to get there. It is. It's similar to nutrition. You know, nutritious movement has the argument, the training that I did, that movement is not medicine. Movement is nutrition. And if we look at movement as nutrition, just like food, you need it every day. You need little sprinklings of it and healthy versions of it. You can't undo the damage by having a healthy salad at night but eating junk food the rest of the day. We know that with nutrition, you're not going to get away with it. Even if you eat a healthy salad every day, but you eat junk food, one doesn't outweigh the other. Yeah. And if you exercise every day, that's your salad. But if you're sitting the rest of the day, that's your junk food. I think if we think of movement as nutrition rather than medicine and rather waiting for the time where things fall apart, that would help reframe it. Yeah. And it's harder to come back from something than it is to prevent. Or let's just say, if you aren't taking care of yourself all along the way and something happens, an accident, you fall or you have a disease or something, if your body is primed for vitality, resilience, I think you'll have an easier time coming out of it than you would have. Yes. You're just couch potatoing the whole time. Exactly. And your immune system is also benefiting from it. You know, your body is designed to move. We have lymph glands in the areas of the hips and the armpits where we're supposed to be moving these bits. Maybe in 20 years or, I don't know, a million years, we'll have lymph glands in our thumbs because we're <laughs> still texting. Who knows? <laughs> Now, you and I, uh, when we spoke, we talked about walking around in bare feet. Do you have bare feet right now? I don't because my feet are cold, but oh. I have some feet on. They are very, very bendy. They might as well have no feet. Yeah, they're anti-skid. They look cozy. They are cozy, but it's kind of cold here today. It's a tip. If you are walking with slippers around your house, if they're wooden or tiled, you want an anti-skid. Not Don't walk around in regular socks because... When your feet slip slightly, your toes will tighten and tense and it'll undo the goodness of going barefoot or wearing slippers. Okay. So for people, let me bring the people into our conversation. Oh, yeah. We're talking about bare feet and children. You've worked with kids. Tell us about the importance of bare feet and how it benefits children. Sure. So, well, from, for young children, our feet are sensor, sensory devices. They have 20,000 sensory perception in, the, in your soles of your feet. So 
if you got your child and put gloves on their hands and expected them to thrive, you know, you, you would realize that's ridiculous. They need to touch and feel. And it's the same with our feet. It helps us ground. It helps get perception of where we are. Barefoot allows your muscles to thrive, your arches to develop. It helps you balance and walk. So for children, it's just a no-brainer to keep them as close to barefoot as you can. And that doesn't mean you can't wear shoes or minimal shoes you can wear, you know, or anti-skid socks and things like that to make it more doable in a cold climate. Then guys, an adult, it's the same process. You know, if you want to have good balance, if you want to have good bone building, if you want to have good posture and no problems with your neck, it all depends on your feet being strong and able to support you. And it also includes your pelvic floor. So it's really everything above your feet that benefit from you having healthy feet. Pelvic floor, something that nobody talks enough about. I don't yes. know. <laughs> so, and we have it wrong, right? We think we have to tighten. We're doing kegels. Yes. Things yes. You, you said that that's actually inaccurate. It can be. So some people, it can help. And if you're doing kegels and it's helping, that might be the solution for you. Many women find that when they do kegels, things don't get better or things even get worse. The problem is also that people don't really know if they're doing them correctly. So unless you have a, an internal exam from a women's health physio, you may not be doing the Kegel correctly. Often women don't release completely at the end. They're good at the contraction. So, you know, contracting your pelvic floor muscles that your end stops flowing, but they don't completely release then afterwards. And that can cause an imbalance and the muscles just tighten, which is, you would think would be a good thing, but it's not. You want your muscles to be able to fully release and contract when necessary, you don't want them to be constantly contracted. So I compare it to a trampoline, you know, a trampoline that the children bounce on in the garden. If that trampoline is wound too tight and a, a larger kid jumps under an adult, the trampoline will break. It won't be able to hold the weight of that, even though it's tight. Tight can be weak. We assume tight muscles are strong, but tight muscles are weak. You need the trampoline to be the right strength to let go, but also to contract back. So kegels sometimes can mess things up. And a lot of the times with modern life, women's pelvic floors are actually too tight, too short, rather than too long. And stress can, can contribute to that. Just watching a horror movie can tighten your pelvic floor muscles. <laughs> so chronic stress can contribute to that. Then our posture is pretty off. The fact that we wear shoes, all of that contributes to tighter and weaker pelvic floor muscles. And you'll, you'll know that from sneeze pee or cough pee or jumping pee. That's usually the first symptom that, that women will have with pelvic floor. And they kind of think it's inevitable and there's nothing you can do, but there's an awful lot you can do. Interesting. I just thought I'm glad I don't like zombie movies because that sounds kind of like <laughs> saving my pelvic floor. Exactly. You know, my shoulders wanted to go up when you were talking about, I was getting this feeling of how sometimes people are in this position. Yeah. From work or from, you know, they're reading something that's distressing or watching the news, whereas mm. we want our shoulders to be able to fully relax. And yeah. It's like the stress response. Yeah. And it's not a question of forcing them down in the past. They're often, people were often huge to, you know, draw your shoulder blades down. It's more, lift them up first and just kind of let them go and just let them go wherever they go, but don't force them down. Forcing down would cause more tension, whereas letting them go, although it's a subtle difference, it doesn't create tension. It gets rid of tension. Yeah. So it's either tension in one direction or the other. If we're forcing it down after they've, yes. yeah. 
Exactly. It's more like a melting. It's more like a heat a sensation of heat or, or melting on your shoulders to kind of realize, oh, I can't actually let them go. <laughs> they don't have to be here all day. Yeah. Do you have any advice for those of us who work at computers a lot and tend to do the, I know there's something with young people now called something neck where they're text having neck. text neck. Yeah. Text neck that's on your mobile phone. So if you if you look down, you tend to hold your phone at a certain angle. So the phone uh, realizes the angle and I think it goes blurry. So you have to bring your head back up. Well, the number one thing is to sit less. When we sit, our heads tend to go more forward than when we're standing. Sitting less is like standing during a Zoom call. You don't have to stand the whole hour. Just stand, stand at the start. I always stand at the start of a Zoom call. And then eventually you get tired and you sit down. That's a really easy way to bring in more standing. You could know, be standing in certain phone calls. You can walk around. If you're with housework, you could do ironing standing. These are all different ways you could bring in a little bit of standing during your day. That would be the number one tip for your head. And then to change the angle of your chair when you are sitting on a chair, most chairs are backwards sloping. So the seat of the chair slopes back. And when you sit on it, your pelvis rolls back. So you end up slouching. Even with the best of intentions to sit up, eventually you'll kind of roll back downhill. So if you you can buy a chair wedge, put it on your chair, it changes the angle so now it's upward sloping. Or you could just get a towel, like a beach towel, rolled up really tight and put it towards the back of your chair, not the very back, but about just towards about three quarters of the way back and sit on that. And then you've changed the angle. And even if your chair is flat, the chances are you're going to start rolling backwards at some stage. So just putting that change in angle you won't believe the difference in your neck. Your whole your whole spine will change. It'll feel like your head is a helium balloon. Yeah. Is this, you know, this, you can hardly move your head. Yeah. You have all that range of motion. So I have chair wedges like that all over my house on every chair I ever use. I'd really recommend that if you're sitting at a desk for a long time. That's a great idea. Do you still teach Pilates? I do. I call it Pilates movement because I fuse my Pilates exercises with these natural movement, nutritious movement ideas. And then I also do a lot of fascial rolling as part of that. I found it's very, very effective. It helps people relax. And I think stress is a big part of our movement and our lack of movement and that stress we hold in our body. So I do a lot of fascial rolling as part of that class. So it's, it's a fusion class, but there are Pilates moves in it. I mean, Pilates versus yoga, is that like comparing apples and oranges? Because I know that- They're quite different. People should do what they they like, you know. Do what you like. Do what brings you joy. And I think movement should bring you joy, whatever it is. If you love jogging, keep jogging. You know, if you love the gym, go to the gym. If you love cycling on a bike at the gym, that's fine. But realize how much you're sitting the rest of the day. So if the rest of your day requires sitting, cycling on a bike might not be the best exercise for you. But if you love it, then you're going to have to minimize the amount of sitting you do the rest of the day because sitting between four and eight hours is already a medium risk for heart disease and cardio um, obesity and cancers and premature death. So, but if you're standing all day, then cycling on a bike, you know, might not be that bad. So same way with Pilates and yoga, do what brings you joy. You know, I think do the one that that suits you. Mm, I think that's really great information. I'm sitting with my computer elevated. I just saw something on your page about carpal tunnel. Ergonomically, I'm not perfect at the moment, but I wouldn't work like this with my arms. Yes, yes. Is it also important that we balance where, like, how should our, if we're using the computer, yeah. 
roughly a 90 degree angle, you know, almost like you're holding a coffee cup, that kind of angle, but relaxed. So if your shoulders are up here at 90 degree, that's not the same as this 90 degree, you know, so you have to relax the shoulders and your arms are at 90 degree or less because you're one, you want your arms to be relaxed. You don't want your wrists angled up or down. They're supposed to be neutral. You want your screen about arm distance from your eyes. And then you want to be have like that wedge on the back of your chair or the towel so that you're upright and not sitting against the backrest. So the backrest does what it says on the tin. Once you backrest that you're resting your back, your core muscles are switched off. It doesn't mean you have to sit perfectly all day. You do want to vary it. So no one can sit in perfect posture all day. And it wouldn't be the object anyway, because that's also sedentary. The idea is to change position often and with variety. So yoga ball, standing, sitting on your chair, standing at the kitchen counter, leaning on the backrest, not leaning on the backrest, sitting on the floor. These are all different ways to sprinkle different shapes into your body throughout the day. What would you say about a treadmill desk or a thing that you put on a treadmill? I mean, it's <laughs> movement, but I'm thinking I want to detach from my computer <laughs> walking or doing yeah. something. Treadmills are not great. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rate them very highly. I mean, if you want to do weight loss and you can't go outside, they are an option. But in terms of all the benefits you would normally get from walking, they don't give you all the benefits because one of the benefits of walking is something called the posterior push-off. You strike with your heel, you roll through your foot, you push off on your toes. So you push the floor away. It's like you're responsible for the world to keep moving. You know, imagine you're pushing the ground away. On the treadmill, the, tre the ground comes towards you. You're just kind of patting it along. You're not actually actively pushing it. So you don't get the full benefit of a posterior push-off. And that's the part that helps your knees, your, your, your hips, your pelvic floor, and your neck. So although you might be burning calories on a treadmill, you won't necessarily get the, all the bone building and the, you know, the other good things that you would get from walking. Also, for me, I couldn't walk and look at a screen. It would just wreck my eyes. There are also studies to show that your brain has a hard time computing this because although your body is physically moving, nothing is getting closer to you and your brain has a hard time figuring out what's going on. So some people feel really dizzy in that situation as well. That is so interesting. So many things to think about. <laughs> never ending. It's never ending. But the beauty now is that you can do a lot of different things working from home you can move your laptop around it's not one big huge computer you know you have that option to move around because if you're working from home you can sit on the floor you can take your shoes off there are a lot of advantages to if you have that luxury now of being able to make those changes and even if you're in an office you could still use a tennis ball under the desk to massage your feet nobody would know you know you could stand and sit people are more open to that now you can do walk and talk meetings you can even go outside for a walk and talk meeting. People, I think, are more open to that now and realize not only is it better for your body, but it helps your brain. It really helps you to think and focus. I just crossed my legs and I have a feeling <laughs> that's probably something you <laughs> discourage. Yeah, it's not great. But I mean, you're aware of it. That's the first thing. So pat yourself on the back. I always think when people notice they've done something wrong, celebrate it because the fact that you noticed is huge. You can always do the other side or stand up or, you know, being aware is the number one, one, number one thing. I have to say that I have an awareness that when I start crossing my legs back and forth, it's time to get up. There you go. You see, it's telling you. It's starting to get nudgy. It wants to move. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. 
people probably have more of these little hits than they realize. But once you start to think, okay, how can I help myself remember to stand up or wow, what does my body feel like right now? Oh, maybe it feels like looking out the window. As you said, it's just a, a, an energy change and a break and for your eyes and your brain and your body. Yeah. And for some people that can be hard to get to that awareness. So you could do things like, you know, when I do exhale, I'll do it. Or when I exchange from Excel to PowerPoint, whatever trigger it is, when I get a phone call, whenever the bus makes a noise to go out, you have to bring in some artificial reminders sometimes. It could be an alarm on your phone, but put the phone in the other room. It's too easy to hit the snap. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Or if you, when you have to go to the toilet, you know, do drink water. The natural breaks in your day are a good time to change position. And there may be times where you're in the flow and you're an hour and a half working on something. That's fine too. You know, you're going to have those where you have to concentrate and not be distracted. Yes. Good point. Now, not everybody lives near you to work with you, but I think that you have things that you do like webinars. Tell us about what kinds of information people can learn from you without being right nearby. Sure. So I have a webinar called Take the Pain Out of Working from Home. And you can use the same um, ideas for working in office as well. And it does what it says on the tin. It shows you all the ideas of how to work uh, at home or in the office. So sitting better, sitting less, sitting differently. That's a 45-minute webinar. You can find that on my website, malahidepilates.com. It's also on my Facebook and my Instagram. And you can find me there under Movement Makeovers. If you sign to my newsletter, you can get my freebie, which is how to sit less. And I think that's always a place to start is look at, it'll include a calculator. You actually have to fill it out and realize I am sitting way more than I thought. And everybody's shocked at how much they actually sit when you add in everything. That's a really good place to start. And then there's ideas there, how to sit less in your home. It's very family friendly. So if you have kids, they can also do it or grandkids. There's a chart. Some people like to track their progress. I would always start with that. And the advantage of when you analyze that and make those changes is you've made your home more movement friendly. And I'm big into, I love physical changes because there's no willpower involved anymore. I don't have to remember to do a calf stretch anymore because every time I use my sink, I have a book or a, a half dome in front of it that forces me to do a calf stretch. So every time I wash my hands, every time I dry my hands, I'm doing a calf stretch. I don't have to think about it. And I love those changes because it, who is a time to think about <laughs> yeah, really. doing your day? That's um, a really having a squatting potty in your house, every toilet you have, you put that in front. You don't have to think about it. I did an article on squatting potties years ago, and I got so many people saying, this is crazy. These will never take off. What is this? Uh, like, yeah, well, and I gave all the details about why it's a really good idea. Yeah, you were probably too early with that. And I mean, it's sold as a constipation, anti-constipation device, and it, it is amazing for that. But I love it because it's a mini squat. Every yep. time you're in the toilet, now you're in a mini squat position and you can do different heights and you may not be ready for the high, high level. That's fine. But you do not want to lose that skill. That's really important for your pelvic floor as well. I used to go camping, you know, get in the car or the truck. And, yeah. and I always wanted a shower, but I didn't always need a porta potty And people yes. astounded at that. But I have to, like, I have to admit this. It feels really good to be outside and squat and pee or whatever yeah. I have to do if it's private. I don't know what it is, but there's something very freeing and almost like 
inherently innately normal yeah i'd say it's probably similar to nudist uh, assuming i haven't tried it but i imagine it's the same sense of maybe yeah. natural you know being with earth being with one with nature yeah well i haven't yet convinced my husband to go camping with me yet so it's not in my future but this has been absolutely really really great information and packed with good tips and things in it and uh, i'm going to put your website because as you said the name of it is a little bit hard for people to remember yeah but i'll put the name uh, of your website on my on the podcast page as well you said people can find you on instagram and is that movement makeovers or is that your name you know it's movement makeovers and it's also on facebook the same name movement makeovers okay and I like the idea of thinking about it as a makeover. Who doesn't like a makeover? We all like them. I love it because I'm big into physical makeovers and I have made over my home to be more movement friendly. And I think it really helps because you don't have to think about anything anymore. Yeah. And we all do so much thinking just to get through the day. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate your time. And I, uh, I'm going to get that ebook so that I can measure my couch potato-ness. <laughs> Do that, do that, and let me know how you get on. Thank you for having me. It's been great chatting to you. You're welcome, and uh, be well till next time, everybody. We'll be back next week with another episode. That's the end of another episode of the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If there's anything that you heard or hear when you tune in that you think would benefit a friend, a sister, a mother, hey, even some guys, send them my way, would you? And if you've not ever been to the website, rebelliouswellnessover50.com, head on over there. There are resources, things that I don't always get to on the podcast that might help you age better. Be well till next time and stay that way.